Alrighty, sorry to bother you, but we got this week's Bites and Popcorn podcast coming up. Ha, fucking funny. Anyway, just the usual uh, spoiler warning uh, going into this one. Particularly this film is one that's definitely got some twists and turns. Uh, so just the usual. If you haven't seen it and want to see it without it being spoiled, do go watch it beforehand and then come back to us and uh, listen to our really fun chat about uh, a great film. Sorry to bother you. So without further ado, let's get on with it. God made this land for all of us. Greedy people like you want to hog it to yourself and your podcast. My podcast? Yeah. Shay, you're on the fucking podcast. That is intriguing. I'm just out here surviving, and what I'm doing right now won't even matter. Oh, baby, baby, it will always matter. Thought you said you fixed that. Get a room. I got a room, motherfucker. Hey, Cash, how much longer I got to wait for my money? God made this land for all of us. Greedy people like you want to hog it to yourself and your family. And Me and my family? Yeah. Cash, I'm your fucking uncle. I just really need a job. This is telemarketing. Stick to the script. Hello? Oh, uh, this is Cassius Green. Sorry to bother you. I, I just wanted to make... You want to make some money here? Use your white voice. My white voice? Like this young blood. Hey, Mr. Kramer. This is Langston from Regal View. Was that Visa or MasterCard? We go, never go! You're going upstairs, my compadre. Okay, bravo. You don't have to sell out. I'm not selling out. Here's the starting salary. Well, man, I'm gonna have to get me some new suits. We will have a transformative experience. Fuck you! Fuck you! Fuck you! Doing something I'm really good at. Halla, halla, halla. Cassius, the old you is way more interesting. You are rolling with the big dogs now. Greetings, Cassius Green. I hope you did not masturbate today. We need you sharp and ready to go. Biden's Popcorn Podcast, back with you at the usual time, usual station, same time every week, and with the usual podcast host next to me, or, well, not next to me, on FaceTime, Shay, how's it yeah. going? It's good, I forgot to plug in my mic, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can still hear, hear you all right as, you, as you're getting that sorted out, so. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like one of the uh, Gen Xers who, like, are all trying to figure out Zooms right now. <laughs> forget to plug in their mics or even millennials so yeah well at least you're not I don't even know if it'll not, change my sound but <laughs> you're not hitting me with uh funky backgrounds at least that are gonna trip me out so no that's a plus i don't know how to do that on facetime <laughs> yeah. i hardly know how to do it on zoom but uh yeah yeah i've only done one zoom chat in ever and that was like the family one that we set up to like everyone catch up when things were in Real lockdown over here, and 
I just got sent the link and clicked and and fumbled my way into finding my way into the chat. But yeah, I'm I'm an officially an old man now because you know the Zoom background stuff and all that. Like I can remember, I, I feel like if I was a kid and this stuff was happening and there was Zoom backgrounds, I'd be like all over it. Now I'm just like this is intimidating. <laughs> <laughs> I tried it once and like my face is too white, which is funny on the movie we're doing today. But my face is too white that like. Since I didn't have a green screen behind me, I had white walls. Like the background was going into my face. So, well, <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, all right, fuck. that would have been uh, scary and yeah. slightly, slightly alternate reality, which is what we're kind of talking about today with today's movie. Which is sorry to bother you, the 2018 Boots Riley uh, film that was. Uh, it's I think it's an underseen film still, but one that w- is sticks in your mind as soon as. As soon as you see it, it's um one that I've I think I can't remember if I'd seen it and then I told you you need to watch it or how how it happened, but I do remember seeing it in cinema in Australia, which I think I by the time I came out here in one screen in the entire state of South Australia it was tw- early twenty nineteen. It took a while to actually get a release here, which is what happens yeah. with these indie films. Sometimes they, they they just they you know debut slowly across the across the world as they get the right distribution rights and whatnot. But it, yeah, I wanted it in theaters but i think it was only in lincoln at the time for a couple weeks and then Mm. i had to wait forever for it to come to youtube and then it was like you know since it was in india it was pretty expensive even to rent yeah yeah so that was yeah but it was worth it the first time and definitely deserves a couple rewatches to catch a lot more stuff yeah even though it is an over-the-top film i think (laughs) i think boots didn't uh Pull, like pull any punches he definitely let the viewer know exactly what it was about you know this isn't uh you're not digging through it to find meaning i mean there's easter eggs everywhere but uh it's pretty clear what this movie is about i think yeah yeah and um i think that's what was so much i mean already uh when i saw the trailer i guess because i'm a trailer watcher even though i hate it sometimes because and this is something that was really impressive about this film um that the trailer was great and it kind of told you what the movie was going to be about somewhat, but kind of, it, I don't know if it was different in Australia. Uh, well, I did. Here it was, I didn't know what to expect with it. Well, I, I, I guess I knowing a bit about Boots Riley's background and then knowing, seeing the movie that, you know, you could tell, you could see just with the, the imagery in the trailer and, and a few of the bits that it was going to be somewhat a, a, a criticism of capitalism and, and, and modern and the, culture that we live in because uh, it's not just cap- it's just the over everything about the culture that capitalism breeds um there was some of that in the trailer i i got the general gist but it didn't you know the twists and turns this movie takes there was no reveal whatsoever in the trailer which is i in a day and age where you see too much in trailers sometimes where um you can actually figure out sometimes you can you watch the movie later and realize you saw you you knew every plot beat from the trailer uh i was really impressed that I walked out of this movie being completely stunned by how it went, but in a good way. Like I was really impressed and happy and and satisfied by how the movie played out. But I knew none of what was going to happen going into it, which is um, it, just as a first note of how I came into watching this movie is a really, really great experience because trailers are something that I I I'm, I love watching because I love getting g'd up for a movie, but I'm also hesitant about watching them sometimes because depending on what movie it is, I'm like, am I 
I'm going into the trailer wondering if I'm going to see too much and then be disappointed when I go see the movie, whereas this one was the complete opposite. Yeah, uh, I didn't know it. Like I said, I didn't know what to expect based off the preview, except that I was going to like it. I don't think anything can prepare you for the third act and nothing in the preview hinted at the third act at all, mm-hmm. um, which is good because it hits you over the head. But yeah, going into it, you think it's just going to be like... Based on the trailer, you just think it's this guy's struggle in life to kind of get to where he was going, and mm-hmm. that kind of trope was super popular, especially a couple of years ago. Like it seemed like every stand-up comedian had like a show about you know the struggle of their life early on, trying to mm-hmm. trying to make it through, and so like that struggle, that young man struggle, was a big trope back then. So you thought that's what this movie was going to be about, but it tells you pretty quickly that that's not the case. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess the the only thing that was that hinted at the, I guess you could call it magical realism of the film um, in the trailer. That's was, what boots. Yeah, the, um, the, the white voice was prevalent in the trailer. Um, yeah. Not overly done, but you, you definitely got, we, we heard a bit of, a bit of Patton Oswalt and David Cross in the trailer, which um, the two voices of the main white voices in the film are, are brilliant. Um, but yeah, that was kind of only a hint at it, and you kind of thought, okay, so it's t- taken a bit of a, you know, a, a stab at the racial, you know, the racial and class inequality of of the of the country, you know, tied into some capitalist things with, um, you know, call centers and and the and the title of the film spoke to a bit of that as well. Like, sorry to bother you, it was both a, you know, the call center thing, but also the, um, you know, sorry to bother you, but we're going to hit you with some some realness here in this film. Oh, um, for sure, yeah, yeah. It's, um, there's nothing nothing accidental about the production of this movie, which is great. It's something that I really appreciate when I'm watching a film like this. Um, we'll get into a few different aspects of that, but for me, I I like it when a movie's been so meticulously written. And he he's he drafted this movie for a fair few years before it went into production, um, so he really had gotten a been able to hone it fairly well by the time he got into it. And uh, and I think. It's something to appreciate when a filmmaker cares about the material so much. Um, it's you know writing someone being able to direct their own work, uh, own written script is always great. You know, not that it gets, you know plenty of great directors direct um, make art, art, artistic masterpieces out of out of other people's scripts. But for a film like this, I think it was it was only ever going to be a movie that could made it be made as well as it was by the guy that wrote it because it's such a personal kind of script coming from uh, Boots Riley's kind of upbringing as uh you know an activist um who's very much he you know speaks about himself as a uh, you know he's been part of you know communist parties and and whatnot in the past and he has that kind of very anti-capitalist ideal behind him and it's uh his writing is so on point with everything imagery and and the and the script itself, the dialogue and the and the and the witty witty nature of it as well is certainly like it's it's an incredibly funny film, which is great as well. And it's just it's just a film that could only be made by him, which is something that I I really appreciate when I'm watching movies like this. Is when you a film is um, so perfectly done by the only person that could be could have been done. You know, it could have very easily if someone had tried the same idea that just didn't have as much passion behind the different ideas they were trying to bring to the table. It could have been very you know ham and ham-fisted and just not very good but he it's so sharp and funny and witty and and really leaves you thinking about a lot of things but not even though it's dark it's like you don't leave feeling in a dark mood it's like it makes you feel kind of you know 
almost uplifted to try and say something yourself as well. Yeah, uh, I think it's uplifting in a way that it's critiquing stuff that really is a problem. A lot of critiques. Um, my my big critique of it, I don't. Um, I think it's a good film. I don't necessarily love it as much as you do. Um, I do think that while the writing is really good, he did just jam so much stuff into it that it gets a little disjointed at times and that the message gets kind of like what message he's trying to portray at a time gets kind of interceded with another point and it just kind of gets a little bit messy. Mm -hmm. Um, There's so much going on that it, it does just kind of remind me of, you know, it was a, his first movie and it's, it kind of seems like that. It's obviously a great debut, but uh, it does seem like he just wanted to get it, like all of his ideas into this. Um, Whereas maybe a more experienced screenwriter would have been like, well, we can, you know, build up some tension rather than bombarding it, I guess. Yeah, I guess I, I I guess it depends what, and it's you're you're certainly not alone in that criticism. I've seen it um, in certain reviews that no, and they haven't been slamming the movie. They've just been saying it's they find it convoluted in that sense. With you know, you've got like the whole side stories of um, the TV show. Like, um, I can't believe I'm blanking on it right now. It's over here somewhere. Um, something. What is the TV show called? Um, but yeah, there's a lot of those. What, are we, things. what are we talking about? The TV, <laughs> the TV show, and the movie. Oh, like people get the shit kicked out of them or whatever. Yeah, let's get the shit. I got the shit kicked out of me. Yeah. So you've got all those. Yeah. I don't know if that's what you're referring to, but all these different angles, like, because there's a criticism of um, criticisms of of how we how we take in media and how we how we treat news and how things, the crazy world that we live in, becomes so we get so used to it so quickly and and. You know, we normalize violence. That's you know, and viral videos and whatnot. I find, as and again, like your criticism is something that's been said about the movie a lot, and it's valid because you know there's certain times we it, it does get like there's just things going. You know, the camera will pan to those kids that are walking along with the afro the afro wigs with the uh, with the can of thing can yeah. of soda on the face. I I love the chaotic nature of that. It works for me, I guess. So it's something that. Um, it just works for me, so it is interesting because if it is, and that's what the film is. It's tre- it is treading a fine, like you know, you know, walking a wire because making a film like this, it, like I said, it could be very easy to make it very badly because you are trying to do so much. I think he treads the line quite well, but again, when you're doing something like this, it is gonna it is gonna hit differently for different people, and I certainly see that you've got an appreciation for the movie. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah, I like a lot of the points it's making. I just think that they, they, some of them get lost. And so if they're getting lost, was it like even necessary, I guess. And like, I guess it, it is necessary, but it's just so much, like so many points being made that it like, they're almost like, and then and maybe that it, it was probably his point was to bombard the, the viewer with all, all of this stuff because mm-hmm. all of it is a problem. Like the fact that Steven Yoon who plays squeeze in it has a, has a quote early on um, where he says, or it's like about midway through it's at the protest. He says something about like once, like when people don't like something, they just get used to it. And so it normalizes Mm -hmm. because they know they can't do anything about it. And that's not, I'm paraphrasing the quote, but like that, that's kind of the same point is that TV shows that 
and they say in the in it that 150 people watched this last week or 150 million people watched this last week it's like Mm -hmm. that's almost half the country yeah (laughs) like that's that's insane and it's like people would rather you know watch this than watch the riots in the streets obviously because they can't wrap their heads around the riots Mm -hmm. so they and so his point on you know watch people get the shit kicked out of them it's like I mean, that's not that far away from what we call reality television now. It's like watch people get their heart broken, whether mm-hmm. it's like on The Bachelor or American Idol. It's like watch people compete and lose. Like it's basically like getting the shit kicked out of you. Yeah. <laughs> so, and there's even and like, TV, it, sh- TV shows like Wipeout that are literally just a obstacle exactly. course that is designed to beat the shit out of a person. So, yeah. And I'm somebody who was like, like so excited when I heard Jackass 4 is going to be made. <laughs> like I love that. I mean, that's not, like, in the same vein, but yeah. it, it is. But, uh, yeah, so that in that show really does, like, it does make sense um, in the end because they make him get, they make Lakeith or Cash get his ass kicked and literally crawl through shit to tell the truth mm-hmm. about what's going on there. And, I mean, that's a pretty on-the-nose account of what you have to do, like, whether it's as a whistleblower or whatever to yeah. get your story out is to literally get the shit kicked out of you, whether it's like literally or figuratively in the media or whatever, and crawl through a river of shit, like whether it's comments online or just like, you know, like what happened to Snowden having to be basically a refugee, but well, not really a refugee, but you know what I mean? Political refugee. Yeah. But uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's like a big point, but it's like what, like what, it's like a subset of a point while he's making an even bigger point. So it just like kind of distracts the viewer from what's, I don't know. It's just convoluted yeah. and it's fine. It just takes a couple of watches, but um, I just think it could have been more concise, I guess. Yeah. And who knows what another 10 years of treatment to the script would have done, but I guess that I, I well, it doesn't need that. Yeah. It's already in the works for like eight years. Yeah. I just mean like, you know, as far as not even just treatment for the script itself, but as far as maturing as a filmmaker and a writer, maybe, but, um again like i said it just it works for me because I, I like the i think the certain and it does take a couple of you do you do start picking up things on rewatches which is again something that we 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 push in this podcast that we love movies that keep rewarding you um certainly a movie like this i loved on the on the first watch and um walked out of the cinema is one of those moments where i walked out of a cinema just really affected in a a really fun and good way but also thinking about the messages behind the movie but then the subsequent three or four watches i've had since of like you just notice more and more little things like the last watch i was really keeping an eye on the earrings for example even though i'd always known they were important but i'd never actually taken the time to just watch them um and i've got an article i'll bring up that actually laid out kind of different messages on different earrings that um tessa thompson's character was wearing but i think it's a movie that if you if he'd honed in on one point, like if it was just all about you know the call center and capitalism and and the selling of slave labor and didn't have any of that other stuff behind it, like the TV show and the media stuff and the viral, you know, whether it would have been as powerful because somehow in a weird way for me it all comes like it all all these things affect the other, like it's kind of like this the you know symbiotic nature of whatever culture and world you're living in is like all these things kind of intersect at some one way or another. And I found that just, I found it really cool in a world building way, just a, from a writing standpoint for the film is he built this alt, alt reality, you know, near future Oakland. Like that could be now just in a parallel universe, basically. 
Yeah, it was so somebody... it was so close to our world, but then so different in many ways. And with ha- the billboards and the imagery and the um, you know, the left eye left eye protest movement that's moving around. Yeah, I mean, was... I think it was supposed to be further down the line than we're at, like maybe even like five to ten years. Yeah, that's what I just mean. Like five years could be now. Like you know, things. Yeah, yeah, it's very much close to where we are. It's just an, a slightly different reality and. In as far as like technology goes, there's nothing much different there apart from um, no, you know, some nose candy turning you into a horse person, <laughs> an equus. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if that's technology, but <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's like just one more example of like boots kind of taking away from the bigger point. Even though I love this scene and I love what it represents, but it just like feels out of place. And the bigger point that he's trying to make is. Like at the start of the third act, when he wants, um, when Steve, um, Steve Lift makes him rap, mm-hmm. and he's like, I'm not gonna, like, I don't wanna rap. And like, he does agree, like, the rap that's super memorable. And he's like, obviously, it's like showing, like, this is how white culture views these people, like, like these rappers. This is how, like, this is how they view rappers. They could be saying anything, and to them, what Lake feel or Lake Lakeith, Jesus, um, not even drunk, but <laughs> a lot of ideas percolating right now. But um, Lakeith, what he says is, you know, it's is nothing, but people are into it because mm-hmm. it just sounds a certain way. So he could be saying he's, he's anything. saying the things to them. That... Rap music could be like the rappers could be saying anything because it all represents the same thing to them. Mm-hmm. Like it's not even an art form to them, and this is coming from Boots Riley, who's a, who is a rapper. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure he feels like that sometimes. Like when you know white culture appropriates his music, he's like, "Man, I could be saying exactly what Lakeith was saying in that rap, and people would still buy it because of what they think it represents. It, the words don't even matter." Yeah. But my bigger point on this is that he, it's just a weird point to make that. Or it's a weird time in the film to make that point, I guess, because it's we're about to go on this weird third act journey of, which is really more about capitalism than anything, mm-hmm. obviously, and um, the future of capitalism. So it was just a weird time to make that point, I guess. Yeah, I, I see. I like that. I mean, beyond the um, on the nose nature of it, just showing how, like you just uh, very well explained how, um, you know, a lot of white culture and. And people that don't understand, you know, I, I love rap music, and you know, I'm obviously a white white Australian guy that doesn't is far removed from uh, some of the stories told and some of my favorite, um, you know, rap and kind of hip hop song songs and albums and whatnot. But I just do enjoy. I it's, to me, it's um, a poetry and a form of storytelling and a way of learning, um, trying to learn, uh, you know, and be informed about different lives and and livelihoods uh, that have been lived around the world, and you you find out things from them. Um, but I don't just stand there and just sing along to it, which is, you know, <laughs> I remember. That's another thing is, yeah, you know, like white people rapping along in their cars and, 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 and dropping yeah. the N-bombs. Yeah, I remember, uh, I, I mean, I went to Kendrick's concert here in Adelaide a couple of years ago and I think he didn't, did he, he didn't use that word. There's certain so- words, songs he didn't use that word in because he didn't want people singing along to it. And I know he's in other concerts, he's, he's called people out. He's like, he got a he got a, a girl on stage to sing along with him, and she started yeah, singing, singing those words. And yeah. he's like, "No, you you can't say." It. And he, he tried he used it as a very good teaching moment, I think. And yeah, which is great. And but what going back to that scene anyway, 
Um, I think what it shows to me is that he he went to this party thinking he was going there as an equal, and they, right. were, they were appreciate. They were like he was kind of his his idea going to that party with all his his uh, media you know meteoric rise to the top of the you know being this great power caller because even when he gets to be a power caller they're like you know you're a special kind of power caller because he makes that great deal on the first day you know selling makes a lot of deals yeah and like you know beyond what they already expect of their power callers and so he's kind of like on this meteoric rise where he's just thinking that i am i'm a special like even beyond everyone else that's in this um this elite club and so he's going to this party going to meet steve lift and he's thinking i'm you know i think He's going there thinking I, they're seeing me as more than, you know, my skin and who I am. They're seeing me as an equal. And then, you know, S- you know, Steve Lift just breaks that down for him pretty quickly by saying, when he rap for us and he gets up there, and he's, <laughs> his his attempt to try and really rap and tell a story about himself, which I think yeah, is important rough. too, is like, <laughs> they're like, oh, we don't want to hear about Cassius Green. You know, we just want to hear, hear you sing about, you know, that shit. So... And then all the white people sing along with it and 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 steal it from him straight away. And he's and he just has that moment where he, he's you can see he's singing. He's and he's belting it out in the tone that they expect too. Because there's an ang, you know, people that want rap on the surface want angry. Um, that's what they think it is. It's a lot deeper than that. But you know, and you can see at the end of him singing, he kind of he kind of looks over the crowd just with this defeat in his eyes, realizing that this is um, even be where everything I've done to get here. This is all I am to them. And then that kind of breaks down a little bit for him. And then, um, you know, he's sitting alone as people are banging in a really weird eyes wide shut kind of scene. But he's real. Yeah. He's kind of realizing that, you know, I've got everything and it's still not enough. And it's not this. This is so empty. Um, there's no. And then right. and obviously it goes to him. Then um, Steve Lift tries to prop- proposition him with his plan, which shows that he still just sees him as a workhorse and not not an equal because so. Yeah, it's just I found that the rapping scene kind of really aided the story for me of how I understood it, I guess. Yeah, and now that we're talking about it, I do think another way to look at it is that, um, you know, there have been critiques of certain rappers who, like even Tupac, like especially Tupac actually, because he went to like an art school in um, New York. Like Mm -hmm. he went to a performing arts school and like his mom was always there and she's a member, I mean, she was a member of the Black Panthers, but he wasn't necessarily a West Coast, you know, like in a West Coast gang growing up. You know, he's a theater kid, yeah. basically. Obviously in New York still, but so there's critiques of that. So, like, showing Lakeith try to rap about his life versus just doing, like, what white people will eat up could be a critique on rappers who, who maybe Boots Riley thinks do, do that. Mm, yeah, um, I hadn't, yeah, hadn't even crossed my mind in that sense, but yeah. there's a lot of people who say that, like, who are like, I don't know, a bunch of different rappers. They're like, they're not tough. They're like studio tough, is what they call it, or something like that. Yeah. Where they're like, you know, singing about the streets and stuff, but it's like they haven't ever done anything like that. It's just an image. Yeah. So that, I mean, it, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to. Take I mean, it, I, so I, think, I mean, guess that goes. I'm just saying it's a weird point yeah. for that scene overall. Yeah. But not until you watch the rest of the third act. Is it weird? Because like in the moment, it's perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Um, but that's just what I meant by jamming stuff in there. Yeah, yeah. And it, like I said, it does tread a fine line. For me, it works. But I can understand like I 
weird dystopian kind of future sci-fi even going beyond that i I love all that kind of so i'm but if you it is treading a fine line as far as trying to tell the you know have the through line of the story work which i think it does in the end but it does it does it is a very full movie i guess you could say there's not every and you know a great movies every scene is meant to have a purpose but the this one is very full of like every scene having a lot of imagery and and different ideas thrown at you it's not and and often in a very sometimes very subtly but sometimes in a very in your face way as well so it is it is a movie that really demands your attention from the get go like you can't you don't want to be watching it passively um to to be yeah, able to get to be able to get it all which is why rewatches help too because then you do have the chance to just catch things that you're maybe missing in another watching a frame in a different way the previous previous watch but um yeah uh going back to the start of the film um i like i think lakeith's cassius green which obviously the, the name of the character is great um yeah i'll get to that <laughs> in a second <laughs> um i caught something today when yeah yeah, I'll just I'll start the start. I just I think he he's a great character. Um, really, Lakeith plays Lakeith Stanfield who plays him is just fantastic, and I've he's a cat he's an actor that's just every role I've seen him in so far is is fantastic. I think he played he played Snoop in um Straight Outta Compton, and then <laughs> yeah, and then obviously um very you know he's a not a major part in Get Out, but very he he says the he says the film title. Um, the Peter Griffin, yeah. the Peter Griffin moment. Me and <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he's uh, he's great in Atlanta. I yeah. think that's where he does his best work because he plays just kind of. I don't know what he's really like in 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 real life, but I hope it's like he is in Atlanta. <laughs> he's like this really out there, you know, kind of spacey dude. But somehow very in touch with everything going on around him. He's just he he's yeah. kinda, he seems like he the middleman of life beating down your ideas is not there he just he just says what it is um i like i i think i said i send this to you all the time like uh, uh, people i've said i know i've sent it to you a couple of times like when um that atlanta episode where he's just like walking out with like his breakfast in a cup and he's like oh breakfast cup breakfast cup and like and, <laughs> yeah, Don, and, and donald glover just looks at him and says you just made that up and he just go you know it says the end bomb, but then he says everything's made up. Stay woke. <laughs> like, I'm like, yeah. that is life in a nutshell. Like everything was made up at some point and then became the thing. And I'm just like, right. yeah, that character is just fantastic. So yeah, he's a brilliant actor that kind of can just make makes those roles. Every one of them, like they're very much him. Like he's obviously got his. I'm not going to say it's a shtick. It's just he's he's um, Lakeith Stanfield, but he he infuses every one of those roles with just this. There's brilliance that um, only, and he brought it to this one too because I love that Cassius at the start of the movie straight away he's talking about hopes and dreams and the sun burning up and he's kind of got this very you can say he's very free and free to think and deeply think but then he obviously goes and gets this job at Regal View and it starts I, I guess stepping on everything that he he's trying to believe in but then it's. Uh, I mean, the story is so much about just um, what you do, you know, the desperation for money and and to and you know the capitalist system that they're working in, keeping you needing that money so that you will kind of abandon your uh, not abandon but subdue your own morals and ideas to get the money because you know he's 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 obviously 
part of the reason he stopped, he crosses the picket line is because he's trying to save his 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 uh, his uncle's house that he was um, previously um, berating his uncle for looking for money for. But you know, and his uncle's kind of like, I might I might just do this worry free thing um, because I I've got no other options and. And so, and all these guys have got hopes and dreams, but the you know the system is you know bringing them down. And I love like Lakeith Stanfield's character, like Cassius, is just such a through line to that because uh, that conversation in bed with his um with Tessa Thompson very early kind of shows that they're both you know very much their own people and free spirits, and and she certainly sticks to that. But you know he's got to make make the decisions, and he's and he's also very talented at doing something that. Um, is that in informs that system that he's um, got moral quandaries about being part of, but needs it to uh, provide and doesn't have, and you know, you've either got the option of providing going against your own moral ideas, but then if you don't, if you do stick to the, you know, the protest and, and all those things, then it means uh, sacrificing some things, you know, sacrificing your family's freedom possibly like, cause his uncle was going to, gonna go work for worry free if he didn't if he, right, if exactly. he didn't do it himself so it's like it's you know and that's a very real thing is we have a lot of people that um are unha- unhappy in jobs around the world and and but they don't have a way out there's only one option for them and that's to keep doing that and keep subjecting yourself to a form of um you know it's not not slave labor in the sense of what it was in um you know Eve Lift says that yeah, in the movie yeah like as in my book it's very clear <laughs> they signed the contract um but i yeah, i'm all I mean, meant not i'm all meant not like you know you know slavery in the pre-civil war south um but right. it is a form of um when you don't really have a choice it is a so it is a you could say a subset of slave labor it's like you're you're absolutely forcing people into this um this way of living because they don't have a choice and if the only other choice is to maybe protest against it, but then be on the streets and 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 sacrifice your family's well-being. So the only other choice you've got is just to subject yourself to it. Yeah, and it's obviously just a really, I don't want to say heavy-handed because that like seems negative, but mm-hmm. it is a heavy-handed critique of capitalism where it's like, hey, you either buy into this system where you have to completely lose your morals and make a ton of money, or you're poor and you have no other options. You can't afford your house. So you have to take this dead end job, which, you know, in the movie is like a crazy cult like job. Mm -hmm. I don't know how else to really, (laughs) I don't know how else to call worry freeze, like work pods or whatever. But, uh, and then, I mean, that's basically just like having an hourly wage job that has no future in it, like in our current capitalist system. So there's like two options in, there's two options in capitalism, either sell yourself out or, you know, try to fight the good fight, but get nowhere professionally, I guess. That's, I mean, I would boil it down to that's the point he was trying to make with that scene. And, you know, a lot, it, it really is true. And I, I think that he brings up his diabetes for a reason too. It's like, Hey man, like if I go to worry free, then I don't have to worry about affording, you know, insulin and diabetes mm. medicine now. But I just have to be, like you said, basically a slave for this company. So it's like how, I mean, it's just how America kind of does things. Dangle healthcare in front of you so you work really hard to the point that you basically become a slave. 
Yeah, yeah, and that's a yeah. This uh, the lifetime contract thing is very. Um, again, I don't want to say on the nose and um, then make it sound negative because I think Boots Riley deliberately wanted, um, you know, made this this alternate reality. Again, he he said it like the magical realism thing is like all these things are on the nose because kind of what we the life we're living in in the real world a lot of when you look at how obvious the problems with the system is it is actually very on the nose in real life too so i think he makes it look as ridiculous as it does in the film with you know the uh was it the the mtv cribs parody of the, the guy in, yeah. the, in his work pods and he's like yeah we get fed here too and she's like literally like eating off of what looks like a prison gruel plate like right yeah, yeah. um I mean, that, it's basically, yeah it's like prison nation not yeah. to yeah, and certainly, um, <laughs> and certainly, uh, you know, the U.S. obviously has a very um, well. I wouldn't say well publicized. Well publicized, if you know the, the right, actually had to search out the information. But um, the prison industrial system in the U.S. is a uh, very much a real thing, and I think there's certainly a, an aspect of that in the film too. With with the worry free, I mean, worry free is kind of a metaphor for a lot of things but I certainly think it's a part of the you know prison industrial complex and then just and, ju- and just what we've already been talking about is the the um idea of either having to uh, you know work or you know it's work unhappily or you know be on the streets basically because you don't really have a choice of working happily and living a happy life uh, like by the virtue of your morals as well you don't really have that choice so the worry free really does it and it's a, it's a great um, a great idea, and again, uh, the train agrees. Just taking, yeah, just, uh, just, take, uh... just taking, just taking, taking a load of new worry-free recruits to uh to the pods. Yeah. <laughs> well, if worry-free was not by a train station, I might think about signing up <laughs> with these goddamn trains. <laughs> so. Goddamn trains. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I again, like I, I mentioned earlier, the world building in this movie really impressed me. For it, you know, it's it's not like it's uh, building, you know, Middle Earth or anything. But there's when you're having all these little aspects of like worry free is just it's kind of like the billboards and all those things that you see around. It's just very much a part of. Scarily, it's a part of their normal. Like everyone knows about it, they're talking about it. It's just a normal part of life that this worry free thing exists. And and you know we maybe in america it seems like a, a you know it's certainly a fantastical complex uh, idea but you know these these kind of worry free ideas do do actually exist in uh, you know third world countries the sweatshops and whatnot that we do unfortunately get a lot of our product from so it's just it's very much a it does critique a lot of different ideas with the one idea in this film that looks very colorful and happy but um you know, it's it's saying a lot about a lot of different things that we we actually experience in life, both in America and around the world. Which, again, just great world building to subtly. Yeah, it's not subtle. Like I said, it is kind of on the nose, but it is also you don't. It's subtle in how it how it really does attack a lot of different avenues that we we experience life through, and um, I think done really well, written really well, and um, and it is like the name is just you know it's worry free. It's like you know. That's the sometimes what people just get boiled down to the point. You you said like his uncle, you know Sergio. It got to the point where you know it's just going to be easier that way. Which you again reference that line from earlier, um, later in the film when they just let people just get so used to it, and and and, and you know if it's, it's too big and scary, we just get used to it and and become worry. Look away, and then yeah. it becomes normal. 
and then and then so. you become worry free. So it's just like yeah, yeah. It's basically what's happened with you know the Trump presidency here is like all of the insane shit that he does daily. Like now we're all just so numb to it that like. I don't know. Five years ago, this would have seemed a bit insane every mm-hmm. single day. But it's a different thing that would have seemed insane. But, we, you know, you drive yourself crazy, not only seeing it every day and like having to ingest it and compartmentalize it, but also just knowing that there's nothing you can do about it until November, hopefully. Mm-hmm. But like, Things you know, the bad. last three years, there's nothing you like, what can you really do to stop it? And I think that's... um you know, this movie hints on that as well. So I think that's kind of Cash's mentality at points. Um, obviously, I want to get to uh, the character of Detroit because I think she's a really interesting character and shows kind of two sides of... Uh, kind of shows a, a side that's of Boots Point that is kind of hypocritical, and I think he did that on purpose. But... Mm. Uh, I think she's a really interesting character and a really interesting study when it comes to this film. Yeah, maybe we'll do that. We'll do a few more minutes and then have a break and then we can dive into her after the break and a bit more of that because I've got the, the article about the earrings that I found that um, was really kind of fleshed, be out, good pre- fleshed out some of the ideas. Um, but yeah, finishing, you were mentioning about, you know, Cassius as part of like, you know, kind of understands that helplessness of it, um, that numbness to the to the situation you're in. I mean, it is great that, um, you know, the, the picket line, the, because they start the union, which, um, the phones down scene is fucking fantastic as well. Like I, yeah. I think just from a, um, just a, I guess to, from a purely filmmaking point of view, um, and we can do a few minutes on this before we get to some character stuff after the break. I thought, I love how, I mean, the way this film is edited, the way it's shot, um, the music, um, obviously the music is you know, Boots Riley having a lot of hands in different in different places as far as his creativity goes really helped with this film and you know the music obviously being by his band and group and I was, I've been listening to the soundtrack a bit this week kind of just getting my head around the soundtrack and the sound the sound design of the film this where the music cuts in to c- certain scenes and but yeah the scene like just for one of the scenes that does a really good job of showing the writing and the the phones the phones down scenes just great like i love the guy the crazy the slightly <laughs> slightly nuts guy that's helping run the downstairs office with these he's always a right bit, yeah. like, always a little bit disheveled just coming out just yelling fuck you fuck you yeah fuck you <laughs> and just it's and the start of that whole protest and that through line of the protest throughout the film and you know steven yoon um uh squeeze i think his character's name is squeeze, yeah. yeah um he's really great like but he, it's funny because... Kind of a schmuck, though. I don't he know. Is, and I like that he's kind of... They do hint at the fact that cause he, he started some union in another city. And it's like, so this guy's I'm just a, this guy's just a, a career, career union guy, which is fine. Like, some people are just, uh, you know, their, their passion is to just keep being passionate about different different movements. Um, but it is, yeah, he is a bit But of a why schmuck. is he doing it? You know, is he doing it so he can get girls like yeah, Detroit, like, like Detroit, or yeah. not? Because there's also a scene where he clearly has chlamydia, where he's yeah, where he's yelling to the crowd, <laughs> which is amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so, I was I was gonna I was gonna about to touch on that. I was just gonna like his character is interesting in that sense because um, it is he seems to have a very pure motive in getting this thing started, and it's like is his end idea 
to you know get the girl or is it to genuinely make change and maybe it's both you know they can't they don't have to be mutually exclusive but um then does it, it still takes away from the purity of the goal i guess as well um, it's also just like two professions that are like would be super weird unions to have and i'm i'm for every single union that could ever exist mm-hmm. that'll probably get me fired from the job that i work at my corporation but uh <laughs> <laughs> i'm for unions everywhere yeah so I, but like also like sign twirling and telemarketing are like literally the, the two most bottom rung jobs out there probably. Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty sure if that seat, like the, the phones down scene actually happened in real life, they would just, there would be enough people that they would just hire scabs immediately to mm-hmm. do it for maybe even less money than they were already being paid. So Yeah, well, I guess, I mean, who knows how many people that were crossing that picket line with cash were... Um, well, the guy with know, the also, iPad. Yeah, also, B. yeah, but then even some, maybe some people were crossing it and working in the lower level of um, like the Regal View office um, call center as well. And I, yeah, just the, the whole through line of that, um, you know, showing... Well, and it's also... Because it does, yeah, it does kind of show a little bit of like, there's a little bit of police brutality angle to the... Because they do just... You know, and the police in this film are shown as very militaristic as well. Oh yeah, um, which you know, um, like Oakland police is certainly like something that you know Boots Riley would he would have grown up with um, understanding kind of that kind of, that angle towards policing. And there's certainly um, there's plenty of um, literature out there about the. Uh, I've really got a book here called Rise of the Warrior Cop, which is a really great book that kind of runs through the history of policing in America and how it, how it has become a a sub subset of mil- the American military, you know, complex. So this police always having this look and the fact that they just beat through this line and a very, and the way it's shot again, like just a not on the filmmaking, they shoot it very, very much like a little, a battle scene. Um, you know, people, you know, it's fast cuts and people being hit and dropped to the ground quite violently in these protests. And they're right at the end as well. It's, um, you know, it, does show the kind of the battle between you know these these people like the police and you know they're meant to be a force for you know let's protect and serve but then the movie they're very much a faceless militaristic idea and um the protest you know and it does by the time it gets to the point where they actually do uh, stop the police getting through and do um hold the picket line it's when there's a bit of organization um and and kind of from different areas and you know the artistic you know, and we'll get to Detroit after the break, but they use kind of everyone's ideas and, and finally come together. And I've just, yeah, it's one part of the writing of the film that I really loved. And, and I guess from the film, like I said, the filmmaking standpoint, the film has like every frame isn't, um, is very deliberate. I think I said that at the start of the, movie, the, the pod. It's just, I find it very impressive that from that standpoint, just how much care was taken to the, the, the music being um, at the right point every moment of the film, where the music cuts in, is I, I think is brilliant. Like it's one of those movies that, and maybe is is work in um, music and and mu- music videos and whatnot. It's just like it does feel like there's a certain part of it that is like it's an hour and a half long or hour and fifty maybe long music yeah. music video as well because it's kind of like it's very shot in a distinctive style and and the music is very much a a part of the mood of the film and then. Um, you know, music, good music videos do tell you a story too. So in that sense, like, I don't mean that as a criticism at all. I like an Aaron, Aaron 50 music video that kind of is, is a kind of a fun way of experiencing the film in that, that kind of lens, I guess. 
Yeah, uh, really bright colors. Really like they really pop off the screen. Really, mm-hmm. really bold imagery. Um, whether it's the elevator he takes up to the power calling center <laughs> or uh, Detroit's uh, Detroit's art exhibit mm-hmm. or even Steve Lift's house. And obviously, you know, we haven't even talked about the horse people yet. Yeah. <laughs> obviously, them. It's very bold. Equisapiens. And like, even like when he gives him the cocaine that's laced with whatever turns you into a horse. I don't know if they ever name it what it's called, but uh, like it's in a spiral. Mm-hmm. And they show at the start of that, like the, sh- the start of the party is Steve Lift doing a line that's like probably three grams of cocaine, which would probably, I don't know. It would do a lot to you <laughs> the person. I, I was just going to broach the question as a general as a general question because as someone that I don't have that much experience with cocaine, but me I, either. Looking, yeah, I was just wondering, like looking at that just from that point of view. I was like, that looks like a lot, and from what I know about it, that would that should probably do a lot more to him than just. But then maybe well, he's probably like a cokehead. I was just going to so say he's probably, he's probably just it. done a shitload to be able to just rail that and then keep partying on telling stories about, um, you know, blasting a fucking rhino to bits. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he's like really calm after doing it or like yeah. really, he's really calm in that party after doing a boatload of cocaine, which means he's probably a cokehead. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> his body is running on cocaine at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I will, we'll take a, a quick break um, and get back to talking about Detroit and Equisapiens and all of the rest of the, the and what is a, a film loaded with just so much stuff. Um, yeah, but we will be right back. Right back. <laughs> Cashin? What's up, man? Where you been? What's up with the suit? I got promoted. What does that mean? Are you a manager now? That means I'm a power caller now. About to be paid. We're all trying to get fucking paid. Yeah. But we were going to do it as a team. Are you on the team? Yeah, I guess I'm still on your little team, but I'm playing from the bench. The bench where you sit and get your bills paid. You know my uncle's about to lose his house. Tash, I'm sorry about your uncle, man, but that don't mean sell out. I'm not selling y'all out. My success has nothing to do with you, all right? You just keep doing whatever it is that you're fucking doing, and I'll root for you from the sidelines. And try not to laugh at that stupid-ass smirk on your face. We don't need this. Are you doing all right? Yeah, I'm doing good. How you doing? Fantastic. Fantastic. I hope you have a good day. Hope you have a better week. Mm, I hope your month is full of successful days and a lot of great ventures. I hope you just come up, brother. I hope your whole fucking year is spectacular. Oh, you hope my year is spectacular? Yeah. You got something you want to say to me? You got something you want to say? You smell great. You smell great. What is that? Burberry, what you got on? Mm, I forgot. It smells expensive. It's just deodorant. Okay, yeah. good. We smelling good. Some smelling, smelling good brothers yeah. out here. You, you are awesome, man, and I appreciate yeah. you. Yeah, help you find yourself, Yeah, too. we should go out. Get drinks. Don't get drinks? Yeah. Mm, how yeah. many drinks? Two, three, three, four, five, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. All of them. On me? It's on me. No, it's on me it's now. On yeah, it's on me now. On you. Yeah, it's on yeah. me. You got yeah. Right. yeah, it's All on right. me. It's on you, though. Now. Walk. All right, we're back after a little brief break. Got our got our sodas and um, a plan for a, a whole. I think we just made a whole wellness plan for you for the next few weeks. Um, in the in the break, very excited. Shay's found, <laughs> Shay's found a, a, a. I can't. What what is the name of this place? We need to, we need to know the name. 
Uh, it's Alchemy Cafe. Or, like, Pure Alchemy Cafe. A conscious cafe. Yeah. It sounds like it should be in Eugene, so maybe that's why. <laughs> I need so, free plug for them. Yeah. We see, <laughs> it is, like, it's in a house. It's just a house. So that sounds very like Eugene, like, Agate Alley kind of area, kind of. It feels like Agate Alley. Or a Whitaker, right or the Wit, or something like that. Definitely more the Wit yeah. vibe to it. And uh, it is next to, store to a psychic, so... Yeah, so you can get your wheatgrass shot and then go get your 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 palms red and yeah, yeah, and she and then she'll be like, well, if you'd come here beforehand, I would have said it's bad, but I can feel the wheatgrass shot and your your future just got better, and then you'd be like, fuck yeah, this is why I came. Yeah, I, I picked a bad time to go. <laughs> <laughs> I've picked a bad time to go to it because they do have a detox um, detox shot. Um, I believe of mm-hmm. wheatgrass mixed with some other things, and so I will be needing that Sunday mornings after we do these pods um, in the future when I when sober May is over. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so I look forward to that. Yeah, um, we have to get some like FedEx my way as well somehow. Probably not worth it, honestly. Yeah, probably not. I'll find I'll find my own in that. Ad- I'll buy you a goddamn blender. Yeah. <laughs> give you the ingredients. It's pretty straightforward. Or I'll find find my own in Adelaide, which will just be like fucking shots made out of like I don't know, bush grasses and kangaroo scrotum. <laughs> I was trying to find a right way to say that, and you just said it straight out, which is what the way it was just meant to happen. Yeah. <laughs> kangaroo scrotum shots. Yep. Foster shot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that's um yeah, Australia Australian for medicine. Um, <laughs> Australian for elixir. <laughs> uh yeah. Probably Foster's probably made in a worry free workshop. Um Yeah. Uh back to We'll bring up Foster's every podcast and also, Starship Troopers, which we haven't. I'll I'll wait for you to tie this movie to it <laughs> somehow in the, in our third act. But, yeah, so we'll yeah. See. I'll get. To, yeah, it'll it'll happen. I'll find a way. Yeah, um, I believe in you. <laughs> uh, we we're gonna we were coming back to after the break to talk about one of, uh, one of our favorite characters. I know certainly you've said that you've got a lot to say about her, and um, I I yeah, just a, I mean, this movie's full of great performances. Tessa Thompson's an actress that um. Uh, you know, everything she touches is gold. I think she's a great, great actress. Um, I think she's had some really different roles. Uh, she's in the, you know, I know that the Marvel Cinematic Universe isn't isn't your bag, but she's brilliant in Thor Ragnarok as Valkyrie and really badass. Like she, you can you believe she's a she's a superhero in those movies and plays right. it really well. And then this movie, obviously, she's a political activist artist. Um, but she's great in Annihilation, which is a great Alex Garland um, based on a novel that's also bent. She's really low-key and um, her character is really different again. So just a great actress. But she plays the character of Detroit, um, which, uh, you know, obviously the name, I lo- like the story about a name, just like my parents wanted me to have an American name. like Yeah. De- Detroit. Well, and it's yeah. just, a, it's actually like when you hear a, name, a person called Detroit, it's like, oh, that's a sh- kind of, surprisingly works as a name um which is the first one of the random thoughts i had watching the film was like that works better than i thought it would um and it's also quite um you know having an american name of detroit um you know you go into a whole podcast series about the issues of the city of detroit as far as the american dream ideal goes um which movies very much tied into a lot of that and i assume there was some deliberate notion in that um naming as well um i haven't read anything about it but 
as I said before uh, earlier in the pod, I don't think there's nothing um, that's not deliberate about this film um, with the way it's written. But yeah, mm-hmm. um, I'm pretty at a point to it. I just haven't cracked that yet. Yeah, I was just <laughs> thinking it was something you know, like just one of those subtle things that doesn't. No, there's no overarching point. It's just say, oh, you know, American name Detroit, and just you know, suddenly reference it. You know, it's kind of a you know a contradiction that you know America Detroit's such a steeped history in the American dream as far as manufacturing and stuff goes. But then in the last you know twenty thirty years, it's uh, it's um, obviously had its had its issues because of the changes in how the American dream, um, which is a false ideal anyway, but the American dream has changed as far as how people can get jobs and Detroit has had, you know, whole, you know, cities, subsidies of the city just cut off. Um, you know, it's been, a, it's been in a lot of popular culture, such as Robocop, which is made by the same director as Starship Troopers. That's not going to be the only one, but um, <laughs> that's very, <laughs> um, yeah, it's, a, it, I don't think it was just prob- I without actually hearing anything from Boots Riley about it, I assume it's just another subtle, smart writing nod in the, in the film to just, you know whether you call it an Easter egg or uh, um, just just smart writing. It's just a nice little nod to a, another idea behind the false. You know the ideas he's kind of critiquing in this film. Um, but yeah, you you said you got a lot um, a lot of time for Detroit with this movie. Like really enjoyed that character. I did, but also I just think that he that Boots used her really her character really well as almost a critique of of the of different movements in modern day because at the end of the day she does put on her white voice which she kind of to to sell stuff which Mm -hmm. is what she gets on cash for and obviously what cash is doing is much worse than her but i think it's even a step further is that she's using africa just like those cell phone companies are Mm -hmm. to make money and Mm -hmm. and she's profiting off of africa and while her intentions are better than the people who have you know, the cell phones or whether it's a diamond mine or, or whatever, but um, she's doing the exact same thing. And I think the first time I watched it, I thought she was like lip syncing along to her own pre-recorded voice and she was just I, doing a voice. But then I upon the further thing. rewatches, yeah. <laughs> upon further rewatches, it's like, oh no, she's like not only doing a white voice, but she's trying to do a white British voice, which could come off as like classy to... Mm-hmm some people who might have money and would want to buy her stuff. And I, I think she, I think there is a line about her selling all of her stuff that night. So she's literally selling Africa to, to white people. So it's like, are you about the movement? Or are you about the, are you about getting ahead through the movement? Which I think a lot of people get lost in now, especially in our modern political climate. And Boots also hits on it later when the girl who throws the can, um, uh, gets a six-figure deal, and I assume she just joins the other side of the picket line after that because she got a six-figure deal for just throwing a can of soda. Yeah. So he's critiquing a lot of stuff there. Obviously, well, not, even, a lot of- not even joining the other side of the picket line. She'd just leave the picket line, which is what it's kind of saying is like if if it's not affecting you, and or you don't have any material, if you don't have you know skin in the game, so to speak. Um, then you don't need to be there. It's kind of like, you know, uh, you know, apathy, you know, and if she's got money, yeah. then, she, then she can develop that apathy and not have to care. Whereas, you know, when that's your only option, then that's what you do. But she gets a six figure deal out of, you know, smile and have a Coke bitch or whatever she says. Um, yeah. Which is, um, again, Something about being thirsty. yeah. Um, yeah. And, but yeah, it's an interesting, I, I had thought about that too, when I was watching the, the art 
yeah, and it's Lily James that does a white voice as well, which is right, like, which like, is awesome. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's just interesting because all like, the voiceover work is great in this. He picked all the right people. Yeah, because like, Pat, like Patton, saying huzzah for Mister Bleep, <laughs> like it's just amazing. It's like <laughs> when he opens the champagne after uh, Cash makes a seal. He's like huzzah! It's yeah. like Jesus, <laughs> what? <laughs> it's such a Patton, uh, like. That's in Patton Oswalt's set too, like him saying huzzah. It's just like just a Pattonism, so it's perfect. It's a very white thing, obviously, too. Yeah, so. and then uh, yeah, two great voices. I mean, beyond Lily James in her little great moment with um the the art show, uh, the yeah the white. And we'll get back to Detroit in a moment, but just a side note that yeah the the two voices they get because David Cross being the other one who, um, you know, he's been in a lot of different stuff, but obviously, um, Arrested Development fans will know him very well. Um, that voice um yeah and it's very white yeah well. <laughs> it's funny i was reading there was one you know just i just googled a bunch of articles about just you know interviews about the film and uh, boots riley said he had Patton oswalt and david cross were the two guys that he had but he didn't actually know which one would voice which one because yeah he was just like i don't know which one because either or like, they're both just white voices so they can probably interchange for either either one he just had to pick and he said he finally decided that david cross he wanted Lakeith Stanfield to have the whitest voice um, out of all of them. <laughs> yeah. He wanted him to be the the whitest voice of whiter than Mr. Bleep. Um, and he finally decided that David Cross had the whiter voice. <laughs> and so, and he said, he said this to Pat Oswalt and Pat Oswalt went, oh, okay, yeah, sure. He does have a whiter voice than I do. So it's that, just <laughs> interesting production side. It's note more there. nasally, but yeah. um, and, I mean, and it's fun too because Pat and David Cross have known each other for ever obviously so i'm sure they have with their their kind of comedic um you know circles they run in um yeah yeah i mean they were doing stand-up before it was like the hip thing to do Mm. um like when it was in a downtime but and then rosario dawson as the elevator um narrator is pretty great so i hope you did not masturbate today yeah god damn it you just took my my closer oh Sorry. I was gonna go welcome David Werner. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta find another one now. I'll find it out. It's oh, not too hard. I'm gonna test Shay for the first time by stealing his over. I, I think he said a yeah. couple of times I've gotten close to stealing him in the middle of a pod, but Oh I, yeah, I, I just straight up stopped you during the Bull Durham podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, nope, not doing it. Yeah, we're good. Yeah. <laughs> As you can tell, we're a free flowing podcast that just we just come out with it and sometimes we step on each other's lines, so I'm sorry, Shay. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah it's um yeah they, obviously the yeah the casting of the white voices was fantastic and and adds to the i know they were trying to they said they i mean they did this the sinking over the the lip movements really well but there's still that realism of it sounding like it's off screen which is really cool like and they said that was deliberate they wanted it to there's like a you know a certain surrealism to the sound like the sound of it coming which it is naturally going to happen because of how but yeah they did they, also- they did it really quite well yeah, there, well, there's also one, like, when they're talking about the party, um, after he makes a big sale, and Lakeith is just not even close at the end. Yeah. And I think they left it in for that reason. They're just like, it doesn't even matter what he says here. It's mm-hmm. like, like, turning it into white voice is just turning it into nothing anyway. So he doesn't, like, he doesn't even get close to what David Cross says. But, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah interesting. But back to Detroit. Yeah. Um, get to those earrings obviously yeah and i guess i wanted to because you made the point about her um, art show and um and the selling of i think 
I don't think it would be like that she's uh, had a deliberate notion of profiting from the idea of Africa, but it's it is that note that um it is kind of the artist, the constant moral quandary of artists is particularly activist art is that you do have to to keep supplementing your activism, you need to actually do have some income somehow because unfortunately the system you're protesting also, you know, to be to be able to do what you're doing you need to somewhat gain something from the system that you're actually attacking and it's kind of the the quandary of it and so and she knows that part of you know she one something that she wants to bring light to might be the the obviously the plight of um you know and and mining in africa whether it be you know you know diamonds or 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 the um the metals for that they they use i can't think of what the name was but the particular things that are used in mobile phones um you know to to do that protest she, you know she's probably genuinely cares about the the cause of it but then she's also going to profiteer from the night um and but hopefully and that's that's kind of what you're doing with art is like and i'm sure boots riley is, and so what boots doing with the movie yeah. it's like yeah he's calling all this stuff out but he's profiting from it he's he's a, he's a communist but he's profiting and i don't know what he does with his money i bet i'm guessing he reinvests a lot of it into mm-hmm. the youth and the community but uh you know he's still making money off his artwork yeah so he's still making money off of capitalism so i think maybe that's even kind of a window into how he feels about what he's doing because he is a known communist and he is a known um you know he does follow that kind of lifestyle so Mm -hmm. maybe that's only maybe that's a personal critique of himself yeah in a way yeah and doesn't even need to it's just like saying this is what we have to do in the current system but we'd like it to be better and and you know whether whether you know yeah, it's just it's an interesting kind of uh, contradiction that is something that's going to be inherent if you're if you're protesting. You know, we we all kind of protest certain things as far as our political ideologies go, but we also do enjoy the benefits of certain things that we we criticize. And it's and it's it's kind of the, it goes to the wider thing of um, just as a side note to it before we get to the earrings that you know the amount of people that um, protest against you know. Well, we, you know, we, we, we want, you know, better climate protocols to, to improve the planet and, um, you know, get, you know, and then you have the people that say, oh, well, you know, do you like your air conditioning? Do you like your TV? You have to get rid of all that stuff then. It's like, no, it's not that. It's it's just that we, what we're protesting for is better, better facilities to be able to use those things. And then if, you know, if something was, you know, fossil fuels are obviously antithesis to any, any, any improvement to air, air quality and, and climate change so there's certain things that are not that do need to be found a, a complete different um a way of you know func- you know functioning our society so it's not like yeah we do enjoy air conditioning and i'd be really i'd be really fucked without it because i'm so used to it but i what we're posting for is a better way to use air conditioning you know mm-hmm. we just we just want you know development it's not saying that we know it's not going to happen in a day and um all these things take time but that is kind of the thing like where maybe Detroit's protest is that, you know, she, she genuinely cares for all these causes, but she is also going to naturally get some benefits from it that are somewhat maybe antithesis to what she's, what she truly believes in. But she does, she does seem to hold her, um, her resolutions. Uh, she, she stays pretty resolute in her um, convictions about uh, life throughout the film. You know, she, she breaks, you know, she, I think genuinely cares for Cassius at the start of the movie because she's, but she does break. Well, she does. She does break up. She does break up with him because she's like, you, I 
who you are is right now or becoming at this time is I I can't you know she says I can't roll with you or yeah. whatever you know it's and he I think that's a pretty it. that's a pretty strong uh a great part of her female character is she's very strong and and will stand up for herself and she, you know it's a great great part of her character I think and part of the reason I enjoyed her character so much is that she she does stay true to what she's doing throughout the film um even her use of white voice I think to me um thinking about it I was just like I think it's more it's it is like kind of like you said maybe a critique of the idea itself um you know she's getting the message across but she's also critiquing it at the same time which is just a very deep way of looking at it but I think it's a film that asks you to look deep into it as well and and mm-hmm. and see the contradictions in certain things I don't think Boots is trying to he's trying to say that you know a lot of things that we we look at and protest about do have there's a lot of inherent contradictions in what we're doing and and you do need to understand them all to actually then move forward better, better with all these things and have a clearer, clearer understanding of what's going on. Yeah. I just think she's the most complex character we're presented in this. Um, obviously Lakeith is up there. Cash is up there, but uh, yeah. Uh, through all of that, like through even her flaws, she's still the most interesting character in the film. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it's something that we, I mean, you notice it's right in the trailer. Like she, um, she wears earrings at a lot of times in the film that have um, very distinct messages. And I just got the the blog I found because I had to find I wanted to find because there was a couple I'd seen that I already had ideas for about what they meant. But then as I, all the other earrings, I just wanted to find a blog that like laid out. So I found um, blackgirlnerds.com. So I'll shout out to them. Not that I don't know if they'd ever find this their way to this podcast, but I figured I'd credit credit where credits due that they they are the ones that filled out a very good blog about all the different earrings that she wears. Um, but yeah, there, there was a thought to every single pair of earrings was that, you know, some of them have like when she's um, at work, she wears, she's um, wearing earrings that say, bury the rag deep in your face, which you mentioned um, off air, the, which is um, their lines from a song by Bob Dylan, the lonesome death of Hattie Carroll, which is, um, basically about um, racial violence, which you mentioned you knew, knew the story of. It's Hattie. not basically about it. It's about a white man killing a real woman with the yeah. Hattie Carroll's real person. And um, getting away he, with what, like, fuck all jail time, basically? Yeah, he murdered yeah. her with a, a drunk white guy, old white guy murdered a woman with his cane in front mm. of everybody in the American South and got away with it. Yeah. Um, pretty much scot-free, which was pretty par for the course back then during that time, so... And that's back when Bob Dylan was writing finger pointing songs, and you know he wrote about that, and um, as um, Medgar Evans as well, just straight up songs about him, very real cases. So yeah, that, those are my favorite earrings. But yeah. uh, she definitely has other ones <laughs> that are very powerful as well. Yeah, it's interesting. We um, we on another podcast talked about Bella Chow a lot um, in the. And the movement against the certain um, protests against fascism in in the major league soccer, and she actually had uh, earrings that said "Bella Chow" at the end of the movie too, which is, um, you know, really um, straight up, <laughs> very in your face. But it, unless you know what it's about, and I, I didn't actually notice them watching the movie; it's only been brought to my attention from this blog. So it is just show how it's really cool how some of the ear, they're very. They're never in your face. They do. Sh- they do flash to them a couple of times, and then there's um, there's a really cool shot where it zooms in on her ones, and these are the ones that um, 
I did notice and made a real point to myself to look up the rest of them because um, the ones where she's wearing the electric chair, um, right. uh, the guy in the electric yeah. chair, and it kind of zooms past them to the very similar looking um, guy sitting on a couch um, with a very, <laughs> with a very racially insensitive slogan about um, do you want to take care of your baby daddy or something like that. Um, but yeah. yeah, it's a guy, you know, obviously probably a, a black guy in an electric care and chair and, you know, saying, you know, being critical about, um, incarceration in America and, and also about, um, the, you know, people's attitudes towards, um, the, you know, African Americans too with that. Cause that billboard is, you know, it's, <laughs> it's attack, but it's also showing how advertising at specific, you know, you know, target audiences works. It's like, it's just it's very on the nose again, which is kind of the point of the film at many times. But that's kind of, you know, advertising does work in that way that it attacks you somewhat, it attacks your your ideas about yourself. So you know, worry free might be targeting um, with that billboard, like you know, African American men that uh, have a have a child with a woman. They're saying they're saying, oh, you, if you want to take care of it, then you, so that's kind of like it's very. This good, is what you have to good, do. Cr- good critique yeah. of advertising and how capitalism, kind of the dark sides of well, capitalism has many dark sides, but that particular notion of um, of attacking attacking people deep down. That's how advertising works. It, it preys on your insecurities and 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 your false ideas about what you might need. Um, and yeah, then it, and the billboard changes very well with um, left eyes. Um, changes overnight but yeah the earring yeah. the earrings uh there's a great again there's just a note on the filmmaking is a great shot of you know zooming in the earrings and there's, there's moments in the film where the characters do say oh those are some really interesting earrings you're wearing today like you know it's very mm. it's a very cool like artistic choice to have her and it and it fits with her character as well detroit she's um you know free spirit she wears you know she's either wearing a shirt with a slogan or earrings with slogan like you know the future is female right, she's in your face and trying yeah. to to show her, I mean, she wants her points known. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is what, you know, it's what artists do. And, you know, back to the gallery scene, she was wearing uh, earrings that say, you're going to have to fight your own damn war from like Prince's Party Up song, which, yeah, you know, and she's, and she's very much attacking, um, you know, the idea that, you know, Worry Free is, you know, a subsidiary of like, you know, Steve Lift's corporation and, you know, they're selling war and, slave labor and what it well they're sell, selling everything to the highest bidder and in, in these and in, up in the power call a dominion um you know and they're asking others to fight their wars which is you know the the mo- that that side of the movie is a really great subtle critique well not subtle but critique of um you know the american <laughs> mil- you know military nothing is subtle yeah military industrial i i don't know i just naturally say subtle for some reason uh but the military industrial complex and then just everything Around that, like beyond, you know, the, the selling the labor for making their phones, and um, which is, is, you know, we've talked about it earlier about the actual sweatshops and whatnot in different countries that put together that unfortunately a lot of the components we have to use. Um, but it's, um, yeah, really just critiquing everything um, with those earrings. Um, it's just a really cool artistic choice that obviously I've had to look up to check on a few of them, but you do notice that it's just part of this over like you said or like i was saying earlier it's a very full film with every everything very deliberately placed to kind of add add nuance and add thoughts to the different points the film's trying to make which as you said earlier it's not it's not done perfectly but it, i think it did it's like i've talked about in previous podcasts before it's brave filmmaking and i think detroit as a character is very much a central part of that bravery in, in making a film like this and making 
a character so in your face because she's we don't see characters like that enough on film you know uh and certainly uh lately you know with me too movements and whatnot hopefully we do see more strong female characters but it is something uh you know lacking in film someone like a character like her um being the brave face at the front of all of it like you know even beyond like you've got the other guys that are protesting as well but as we mentioned earlier Stephen Yoon's squeeze might isn't doesn't nearly have the probably purest ideals that Detroit has in in actually fighting for something you know because she's out there actually you know getting chased by police in scenes as well and you know while she's doing her um, um you know artistic protest um with re re revamping the signage of worry free around the city um you know right. yeah her character is to me kind of the you know the only one that stays you know true to her conviction throughout the film and you know his friend um forgetting his name right now the one that we Salvatore <laughs> yeah Salvatore. Is, that, is it Salvatore sounds too white it might be <laughs> Sal- yeah. it's Salvador yeah Salvatore yeah is it, he's kind of like a little um aloof but he's quite smart as well like he um he just does come across as the a good best friend, but he also, you know, he does, they do have their clashes when Cash is crossing the, crossing the line and test their friendship and they have that great dialogue, which we were talking about doing as our opening, but I was afraid I wouldn't do it justice with um, the fact that <laughs> I just, I can write very well. I just can't, like, I get, I get tongue-tied very easily, which anyone that listens to this podcast will be aware of already. But, um, yeah, that great exchange where they're attacking each other with compliments, which Boots Riley said he'd actually seen friends do before, which was his inspiration for that moment. So very passive aggressive. It, it yeah. happens a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Shay just do that with like um with sports arguments. <laughs> Usually, yeah, yeah, that's where it happens. <laughs> <laughs> Arsenal look good today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Thank you for the backhanded compliment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hopefully I can actually say that at some point soon when we're talking about footy again. But um, anyway, yeah, well. that's a subject for another. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's funny, like, watching this film, though, like, you know, as, as well before coronavirus times, but a lot of, you know, films you can find, like, the, the breakdown of the self-interest side of the movie that it's, it's very much attacking as well as, like, people, you know, you know self-interest versus, um, you know, society, society interest. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of that in these times that people... You know the people that panic buy and hoard um, with no no dams given for others um, versus the people that are really really trying to do the right thing. And you know you can see that you can find meaning in anything in films often if you find the right right way of re- reckoning with it in your mind. But it was just something I thought. It's not like a major point of the film, but it is just interesting that it um you do it is very much a film about self interest versus uh versus what's good for the the, the populace i guess and yeah seen a lot yeah, of, seen a lot of those some you've had a lot, we've had a lot of time to see the good and bad in people over the last few months and yeah yeah it's set in you know the near future and it's a very us versus them type of a film mm-hmm. um and it feels that way i mean i the pandemic didn't always feel like an us versus them thing but uh definitely turned into it in the united states um because obviously we're one of like the three nations that were hit the hardest maybe the nation that was hit the hardest i mean nobody can believe what russia is saying well it depends which per, ca- all- per capita you look at because there's a lot of per capita so depending on which one you yeah. look at the per capita could be positive or it could be negative negative in the positive but going- way but positive in the negative <laughs> way yeah um 
speaking of that idiot, uh, <laughs> I guess there was a line in the first first or second script that Boots wrote for this. I think that he said the 2014 scripts were um, one of the telemarketing bosses, um, not the power callers, but one of the bosses said, um, make America great again mm. before it was even a slogan um, by Trump because it was 2014 yeah. and they had to take it out of the movie because they like because Boots thought it would be you know people would think like oh that's too on the nose of what trump did but yeah. he literally like predicted the stupid shit that we have to go through every day <laughs> yeah i think i think he said one of the slogans for worry free was going to be worry free is making america great again which is just yeah, scary and like uh, as a smart filmmaking move like yeah that's what it was yeah you don't want to have the film be i mean it's on the nose about many things but you don't want to be to be specifically attacking because everyone can find that in any way, and I think that's smart. Like to take that out of there, because you don't want to just be straight up, you know, make if you're making a documentary, yeah, but you're making a an alternate universe kind of, you know, near reality critique of American culture and capitalism and stuff. You don't need to be have that line in there to, to for us to make that connection anyway. So it is interesting that it is just amazing that you can literally write that line in a script years before, you know, in a couple of years. Cause you know, Trump's campaign maybe started in 2015. Did it? Like I, I remember this. Yeah. And, I mean, and make it, America definitely great. wasn't saying make America great again in 2014. Yeah. Sure. So, but for filmmakers that are directly critiquing the likes of Trump, who is um, even before his time as a disastrous president was um, very much a capitalist pig. Um, yeah, and very much using using minorities to to help him build his em- his empire. And before he watched it crumble down multiple times because he's terrible. Yeah, I mean Jared Kushner is literally a slumlord. Yeah, so. yeah. So for his family is. It is just scary. Like if you can, yeah. And that's what it's funny. This movie is. Uh, you know, you look through the shit and you find the the real real things that are happening. And it's just um, it is unreal that you can they write that literal line. It's not even paraphrasing it. It was the same line that Trump used and he, they just happened to have it in their script because they thought it sounded good as a as a satirical line for a company that's trying to sell a false, false ideology and then the president decided to use it in sincerity, not from the script, but just because he they, they have the same sick, well, a sick mind that Boots is writing about is what they actually have. Just, yeah. I'm glad they made the choice to get rid of it because then it just it takes away that contrary. It makes the film smarter in the sense that you can do all this stuff and make these connections to what's actually going on without throwing it in your face as explicitly as that. And that's, um, you know, we've talked about in other podcasts that the different films that have come out during Trump's presidency that that just happened to, and everyone thought it was a reaction to Trump, but they're all written well before it. It's just, it's just happen happenstance that, you know, get out, you know, Jordan Peele very, Famously said that you know the the script was was what it was before Trump got it. it just the timing just was serendipitous, really. And sorry to bother you, is very much in that that frame of mind as well. And and you know, Lakeith Stanfield being in both is just a coincidence, but also assigned to his um his standing as an actor and um that he gets these kind of important roles in these films that are quite important to showing different sides and giving you giving you insights into different experiences and ideas to understand the kind of times we're living in um, at a reality-based thing, which um, we're about to about to lose our grip on reality as we get to the third act of the film. But <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, Detroit's character was fantastic and, and the film, yeah, it's, again, just brilliantly written and her character was very, very well um, 
as I said before, re- great strong female character, but just the the subtle nods with the earrings and all that just is uh, quite amazing. It's really makes me jealous as someone who wants to try and write films. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm like, you, you see ones like this and depending on your mood, you're like, ah, oh, fuck, I should just give up now because I can't, but it is also, it is also, <laughs> I did, I did when I walked out of the film, I was like, that's the kind of, the kind of movie, not that I could make a movie like this because you, it's like I said before, it's Boots Riley, very much a personal film to him as far as his experiences and how he mm. sees the world, but you want to make you want to write and make films that have that kind of impact on people. I like, can make them think and and inspire that kind of, those kind of ideas. But I mentioned before that the trailer didn't give away things, um, and obviously there's, a, <laughs> there's spoiler warnings at the front end of every pod. So if you're this far, then this is and we've we've touched on it already. But um, yeah, you're gonna have a horse cock, Shay. <laughs> <laughs> Be the first time in my life, that's for sure. <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, I mean, the first time you see this, it's, uh, you know, you don't know what to expect when you hear the guy in the stall. Um, yeah. You know, you think he's going to be like, you don't even, I don't know. I was just I thinking it was going to be, remember, black, I was yeah. just thinking it was just going to be a, like a literal slave tied up in there, which it is, but yeah. not what it visually was. Yeah. Um, yeah, I. It's interesting that you know the whole movie is about sticking to the script. Well, not the whole movie, but the first two acts are about st- um, Cash sticking to the script and getting everywhere. Mm. And once he starts to get away from the script, it's like Boots got away from the script too. Like he was telling this one story, and now it's like, whoa, it's this whole, <laughs> this whole other thing. And I think that's a cool parallel to it. Is like we're not going to stick to the script here because we need to break free from this capitalistic. Mm. um you know monotony basically at the end of the day like i'm sure there was a different way to end this movie that would have been less surreal mm. but boots wasn't going to stick to the script yeah or stuff <laughs> <laughs> and to- and tonally because you you've already had the subtle nods to uh, this kind of reality being like kind of hyper real with the white voice stuff and all that so it it does Dropping into the different yeah, living if you'd, room. If you'd had, yeah, and that that kind of just as a, you know, aesthetic thing was really cool. Like the, we hadn't even talked about that, but that is just part of the, what kind of sets you up for the Equisapiens. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Once you see that. And it's, it's not just, even the last twist. Yeah. It's a huge. Yeah. And it is shocking. Like when you see it, it's like, oh, oh, fuck, they've gone to the horse people thing. But yeah. because of everything that's happened leading up to it, the start, like, you know, the white voice and the dropping into living rooms and just, there was that hyper real nature to the film. It makes it acceptable as a, as the third, the turn of the. It made it somehow makes it made perfect sense in the end. Like it was just like this film. Once you watch it, it's like it did need to go there. But and and like you said, there's, there was there surely would have been a more grounded way to finish it. But this kind of hammered home the point better because it really shows how. Because. Man, I can imagine someone like a not wanting to name names like cough. Jeff cough. Bezos. I was just about to say cough, cough, Bezos. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, like all name them. This right is why now. this is why we do a movie podcast together. It's like some kind of <laughs> same mind thing. But yeah, it's you can imagine that. And and Army Hammer said that he did a lot of research on CEOs and how they think. And he said that I can't remember the term he used, but there's a he said it's like it's kind of like people is like a when people get so into growing something can rich and powerful from it they lose all sense of 
It's like he said it was like it's kind of like his the way he put it, and I'm not sure it was the right way to put it. But he said it's like the opposite of PTSD is post post. He called it post. Oh yeah, I saw that. Yeah, it was a Hollywood Reporter interview or something. Post traumatic Uh, growth where they they just they get so uh, wrapped up in what they're doing, they lose all lose all sense of a moral compass. And when you have lost that, then everything like making horse people like literal workhorses, which is, you know, obvious, it's a very obvious nod that what, you know, Boots is doing is like the terms workhorse, you know, work them like a horse and then obviously slavery and all those things come into that, right. that idea. But yeah, it's like Army Hammer said, like the part of the character study was to get inside the head of someone that could get so morally twisted that, and I can imagine that there's people and, and look, we don't even have to imagine. We see, uh, you know, pre- the current president talk about people in such terms. Um, so it's it's right. it's um, people that are in that kind of realm of thinking do lose that moral compass, and then anything becomes possible to them if you throw an idea at them because they don't have the empathy to think about it at a human level. Then the humans that they're thinking about doing these things to are just just uh, fodder for their ideas there's no they don't see them as human so and not that i could ever get myself in that mindset but i did i do understand from looking at it from the outside point of view that that's what happens and it is a very real it it seems stupid in the film like of making people by getting to snort like laced cocaine like yeah maybe the process isn't but yeah and you know maybe whether someone can actually turn into an equisapien that's a completely <laughs> different point, but just the idea behind it that people would think if if it was possible, then they'd do it, and that's the scary um, part of it. And what, yeah, and there's an interesting line at the start where um, his boss at the telemarketing place says, "You know, we're not trying to re- re- reconstruct the human genome." Yeah, you know, <laughs> flash forward, flash forward to the third act, and that's yeah. literally what they're trying to do mm-hmm. so that's a fun little nod um and yeah you have to be a, a real narcissist to want to do that and unfortunately the country is being led by one right now and it's infiltrated his his uh followers who have started to look at certain people you know the way that this they don't even have post-traumatic growth you know yeah. syndrome they have they just f- blindly follow somebody and just mimic what he does and so they've started to think like this and it's a really dangerous way to think because it's an extremely slippery slope because well for a lot of reasons obviously mm-hmm. yeah and um the uh it's the idea that um what steve lift thinks he can do is um i don't know if i've mentioned the character now it's army hammer's character steve lift um yeah he, he says that he thinks just throwing a hundred million dollars at cash fuck fuck load of money um, but yeah. he he has that idea that money because he's just in that world that money will buy everything. So he's just like, this kid would be stupid not to take a hundred thousand to do a five year tour. Hundred, yeah. sorry, a hundred million as a five, you know, take a five year tour as a as a as an Equisapien um, leader, and then but, and then and then this even raises the question: like he's saying there's a cure, but you know, he, he can just say, oh, whatever. there definitely was it. There yeah. definitely wasn't one. Yeah, like I think they just killed him in the end, and like because they probably demanded it. And he was like, "Obviously, we don't have that," and so yeah, they just tore him yeah. apart. And like, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's not that far fetched for him to believe that because he's throwing money at all these power callers who are literally selling slaves, and mm-hmm. so, like so they'll almost do anything for money. Yeah, um, is the way he he perceives it. But, yeah, uh, and 
one thing we talked about off air is how I I believe that Danny Glover had been a power caller before and kind of did, mm. followed the same path that happened to Cash, but I don't I don't know if he got to the point where there were horse people, but I think he got to the point of power caller and saw what they were doing, and now he's back there. That's how he knew about the white voice and how easily he could slip into it. That's why he knew about uh, the liquor, the good liquor at mm-hmm. the club. And that's kind of why he um, likes that show where people get the shit beat out of them. He's like, man, fuck this, fuck the world, man. Yeah. This is fucked up. Like, this is a fucked up world. People probably do deserve to get the shit kicked out of them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. And you mentioned it another, so it, another line that he is like comparing apples to oranges or apples, was that? Oh, apples to the yeah. Holocaust. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I hadn't, I hadn't made the connection of where Danny Glover's character possibly had been before, which I was glad you brought that up because it did does make you think. And, and all of that makes sense that he possibly could have been and then dropped out of it because he was disillusioned by it. And then, but he still, like, like we said, the system demands that you have a job or you, or you're, um, well, cash goes back at yeah. the end. Well, he doesn't end up going back because he becomes a horse man. Yeah. Uh, was sapien, but uh, yeah, cause you still, yeah. you still need to find your place in the system. Um, unless, until it changes really so and then there's the other easter egg of cash falling over when he's chasing that car because young horses can't can't run very well they're yeah. colt like and uh so it's a little easter egg and i i have to assume that's why boots put that in because in a film that was full of s- some subtle nods and some over the top nods mm. i'm sure that's why he did it because it doesn't really make sense without that yeah, and unless and, you're just yeah. trying to get him to feel hopeless. Yeah, but I don't know. Yeah, maybe and bit of column A, bit of column B, possibly. But yeah, it did. It, it is. I, I've I've said it multiple times already on this pod that not that everything seemed uh, very deliberate. So um, to keep that in that vein, though, I would certainly think. And again, that's one that I hadn't picked up on. It's really why it's great to rewatch this so many times. Well, yeah, the first did, time you're watching it, you're not gonna. You're just being, ass- you're being assaulted by so many things, like on the yeah. yeah. Um, bleeding from his head still. Yeah. Uh, and it was really interesting, like the postscript of like him being offered that, you know, job as the Equisapian and he doesn't get it and well, doesn't accept the role. And in between his time of changing, he tries everything to inform the people of what's going on and they just don't fucking care, which we kind of touched on it earlier about him. But he does the talk show circuit and news programs and no one's watching it. So then he decides right. to, decides to do the I want to get the shit kicked out of me or show, right? To, because That's it's the only, the only uh, yeah the only thing people are watching, and then Steve lifts kind of like shown on TV just pumping the fist and you know ringing the bell at the stock market because their company's had a historic rise because people right are just, exactly yeah people are so used to and it's kind of a real good critique of how how ideas like the new normal kind of creeps in um, to people so then once it gets to the point that Jeff Bezos, I mean, Steve Lift starts creating horse people. People are just like, okay, that's normal. And it's kind of like, you know, you know, Amazon using drones to deliver packages and stuff like, you know, 10, 15 years ago, we'd be like, what the fuck? Because we've had this slow creep up of all this, this, it's just like, oh yeah, no, there's a drone's just going to drop a package in my house now, which obviously is not horse people, but it's just like, the, what's the next step beyond those things? So, you know, people are just, the populace in the film are just happy, readily accepting it and, and buying more stock in the fucking company, like, and they do say that, and and they, when he sits down and reconciles with Squeeze and 
and Salvador, they do both say, well, people just, you know, it's too hard to fight it. So they just accept it and move on. And it's, and it's um, unfortunately a very real critique of how the world what does work at the moment. Um, as we've said in this podcast a couple of times, is how people have. Un- well, it's how it's always worked. Yeah. I mean, but particularly, it's I, been hyper the- realized by the insane ramblings right. of a psychotic president that people are just kind of just rolling with. I mean, a lot of well, people. Well, also hyper capitalism. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Reach hyper capitalism. So it's like, but I mean, it goes all the way back to the Communist Manifesto. They were railing against this stuff, and mm. you know, Marx was laying out exactly what this film was saying at the same at the same time. I don't think Marx could have imagined where capitalism is now to the mm-hmm. point where it's destroying our planet and it really like it has become the divide between worker and boss has become you know infinity times larger than yeah. it was when he wrote that when it was already big yeah yeah and it's what's it's it is what i like i love i think this is one of the things that made the film so um satisfying to me is it does uh we did say that how the ending or going into the third act was just a, a stunning turn for what was expected from again i was just really impressed that the trailer gave none of that. there was no notion of equisapiens in the trailer whatsoever right um so i was really impressed that they didn't you know didn't try to sell the film on that they really left that as a real fun surprise for you to discover even though it's a major story it's a major plot point of the film um it's what ca- is the catalyst for him realizing everything's fucked up at this company and yeah, and it's it's crazy how easy it was for him to accept what he was doing beforehand because he had the money for it, but this was one step too far. Um, but yeah, the just when you think he's gotten away with not being turned into an Equisapien, he <laughs> that is such a great turn at the end when he walks in and he's you know happily living back in his uncle's garage at the house that his uncle now owns. Um, yeah, so, nicer garage. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And he's, you know, everything's back to almost the start of the film and then he turns around and the nostrils are flaring and it's like, oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> he's going to have that horse dick. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great it's a great turn of events, mm. really. And strangely, I think it works as, you know, so many, you, you could watch a film like this and be sad at the end of it because, oh, crap, he, he did turn into a horse person at the end, but... I like to think that I'm assuming, and now whether the, whether the relationship still works, who knows? You know, that'll be things for the, him in Detroit to work out with the, uh, you know, the whole Equisapien thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> do they have Do they have Equisapien babies? Are they like little minotaurs or whatever? You know, there's a lot of questions to um, uh, regarding this relationship. But beyond that, um, right? It has a real. It, strangely, it's a hard. Are there Equisapien women? You know, I don't know. Yeah, does she go and get some of the same nose candy and do like a Shrek thing and be like, "I love you," so I'll do this. I'll, I'll be, I'll be like you. Um, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah. but uh, so, the the charge into Steve Lift's house just after the credits start rolling is really cool because it kind of does leave you with like, Cash is accepted. He's he's finally actually doesn't matter what's going on. He's kind of like well, he's like he's kind of been forced into it by the fact that he's turned into an Equisapien, but he's rather than, you know getting depressed about it he's he's become an activist finally and is literally gate crashing a ceo's house and as you said possibly yeah. might tear him apart who knows so that he's well, on lift the- wanted him to lead the revolution and he is yeah in his own way. so yeah. it does end on a positive note and i think once you like become a a, a horseman <laughs> just for 
Equisapien. I forgot what it was for a second. Yeah. A horseman. Um, I don't think it's as painful because nobody else is complaining about how painful it is like when they're riding. I think yeah. they just all, you know, this is just who we are now. And mm. it's just like ushering in. And it's like, it's not that bad, bad to be a horseman because you're not a slave. You're free now. So. Yeah. Yeah, obviously yeah. the, the so, yeah, it doesn't have any reason to be mad other than he's not a human anymore. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, I assume Detroit, it, regardless of you know, obviously some amusing ramblings about the future, like she would still be um, at the very least a very supportive act, like activist at their side because she's you know, yeah, she doesn't those. Material- I don't think it's meant to think about the future. <laughs> I don't think this. <laughs> a little insight into my mind, but I just mean to think about the future. But, yeah. Um, no. It's like I just mean from the hopeful point of view, you just do see like it's it's very it's a bummer, yeah, yeah. The, but the tone of the movie does leave you with a fun kind of ending, and strange, like I said, it just because of the subtle surrealism and hyper realism to the you know close to reality way that the film's made, it does just everything just makes sense at the end of the movie, and it's really and just that ending just wraps it up perfectly for me. I was really. Like I said, I walked out of the cinema when I saw it that day and obviously already being really impressed with the big twist in the third act that I wasn't expecting at all and and everything that happened through the film and being really engaged with it from, you know, minute one to minute, um, minute in whatever the last minute of the film was. It was yeah. so engaging. There's... It was so visually similar, like the mo- movie's vi- visually stunning with, like you said, like you mentioned earlier, the the colours and... And just the way it was filmed, um, yeah, it was a really satisfying one to walk out. Like it's one of the movie experience, cinema experiences I've really enjoyed of the last few years because it was so surprising to me how it went, and um, and being one that really wasn't spoken about enough uh, when it came out beyond you know you know film festival circuits and whatnot. Um, you know, the wider audiences haven't seen it enough, and it's just one of those ones that because you don't know much about it, you come out that much more impressed. You know, there's plenty of movies that we see that are very popular that we enjoy as well. Like we've done our first pod was on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which was one of my other great fun movie experiences the last few years for different reasons. Um, but this one mm. was really just a pleasantly surprising one because um, you do take a chance when you go to see little note, like a movie that's showing in one cinema in the entire state here. Like, you know, you're taking a chance on what that movie's going to be. And that was really, it's one of those ones that just makes you love the cinema going experience. Yeah, and I think it would have been really easy for him to not take the chance he did with the Equisapiens and mm. what makes it so memorable. He, I mean, that movie easily could have been just him going to that party, him seeing how they view him, and then him stumbling upon like a room full of cameras that are like in the sweatshops of the slaves that he's selling, and mm. or like and then videos of the drones that he's selling and stuff like that, and him being horrified by that, and like maybe. Steve Liff wants him to do something and like regard like take over control of the drones that are blowing up you know villages and stuff like that and that's what horrifies him and that's what you know helps lead him to the revolution but Boots didn't stick to the script and made his own film like you've said multiple times on this and uh yeah he deserves credit for that because it is more I think it's a more memorable film because of it yeah, and like I said, brave filmmaking is something that's you know a very necessary thing. I think to to just uh, being both preserving the art of making films and uh, especially going through the times we are in, um, you know, uh, with coronavirus and all those things going on, um, we're obviously going through a very trying time for the cinema 
in industry and whether we will see changes, but you know, the movies that do keep you coming, going to the cinema are movies that challenge you and, and, and just uh, both, whether it be thematically or just artistically, you know, great looking films um, that, that are brave and how they, they make a film look on camera as well. It doesn't always have to be social commentary. It just has to be brave filmmaking in every sense of the word, whether it be how you, how you shoot a film and, and, bo- and both how you write a film as well. And, so it's just these are the kind of movies that are really important for that experience, I think. And it's one that has been really fun to discover in the last few years when I wasn't sure I was going to see it in the cinema here and it finally got a release. And I was glad that we took the time because it was only in there for a couple of weeks, I think. And me and Andrea just took the took the little over hour drive into the center of Adelaide from where we live just to go see this <laughs> one. And um, yeah, damn worth it. Um, I think we got a speeding fine coming back from it, though. <laughs> I, think this, I think this was the movie I got a speeding fine. It was like, uh, I, was, I was going 60 in what I thought was a 60 zone, but it was a 50 zone. So I was exactly on the what I thought it was. Right. There's like right. going going out of the center. This is just like a quick side. And going out of the center of Adelaide, there were like two arterial roads that go north. The one I usually take goes to 60 earlier, and then you go across the main intersection at 60, so it's fine. I was like, oh, we'll go a different way back, and that one is 50 over that intersection. And it's just like, it was a minor, it was 1130 at night, but yeah. I was no, I was I was fine with it because I was a good night out. So you don't let the you don't let you don't sweat the small things. So there you go. What yeah. a way to wrap it up. <laughs> Adelaide speeding fine. <laughs> yeah, fucking capitalism, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, the fuck the- yeah. Uh, we're gonna start doing a new thing with the pod. We're gonna uh, wrap the wrap the pod with this kind of. Not that um, rankings via some of the uh, the main sources on the internet for how a film is uh, criticized and ranked as far as it's um, whether it be percentage based or out of ten based uh, rankings go, but it, it is an interesting way to look at how both critics and uh, and audiences alike are, are generally engaging with a film. It's always it's just a you never want to take uh, you know rankings like this as gospel it's just if you take it with the appropriate context of, of a way of how the wider audiences are understanding film it's a great way to look at them so um you brought it up to me this week and i was like oh, this, this is a great idea so um <laughs> we're gonna start I'm talking about them. yeah basically i i figure it's just you know every time you google a movie a movie title will come up with imdb rotten tomatoes and metacritic and then uh, google has a, a just a ranking based on their thumbs up right. thumbs down as well which is an interesting one to look at as as another one, but this one has a Rotten Tomatoes ra- ranking of ninety three percent, which you find a touch overrated. I think, isn't it? I do find it a bit high. I, yeah. I probably have it in the the low to mid eighties. Yeah, where I'd put it, which is still solid. That's better than most, uh, in my opinion. Yeah, I just think you know ninety three is that's an A, right? I don't know if how many movies in the world get an A. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's what Rotten Tomatoes is an interesting one because there are some movies that have unbelievably high rankings and then some that are um, surprisingly low considering how I rank them. So it's, I don't know where to, I said the other I wonder other what day. Starship Troopers has. <laughs> are you Googling it for me? Yeah. Yeah. 64%. On tomatoes? Yeah, see, that's like, but seventy percent audience score. Yeah, so. Starship Troopers was very divisive. So I, that's <laughs> we'll, that'll be that's going to be a fun pod whenever I finally throw that one at you. But I'm saving that for the right time. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, again, that's one that plays on it. There's a lot of satire in that one too. But did you say that one was seventy percent audience? Audience score. Yeah. 70%. See, like, sorry to bother you, seventy-eight percent, which shows that. You know, that's a very good audience score, but it does show that it obviously missed the point with some and who knows who that was and whether... Because I certainly, if you're just going on a thumbs up, thumbs down ranking, then I certainly give it a thumbs up. So right. 22% were thumbs down, so it obviously didn't hit with some and whether they didn't like maybe maybe Jeff Bezos was like, fuck this movie and just <laughs> logged, yeah, maybe. Logged, logged into a million accounts and thumbs down. Hey, we've we've railed on Jeff Bezos on this spot. Well, he deserves it. Wasn't expecting <laughs> to, but way too much. Money. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not apologizing for it one bit. We just talked about a movie for like over an hour about how capitalism is evil. So I yeah. don't think Jeff Bezos is going to be like. I don't think he's going to be well received on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I. The Rotten Tomatoes score ninety three percent. I I think when you texted me the other day, I was just like, because you you preface this uh, this idea of this segment with um uh, you know underrated, properly rated, or overrated. I said the other day I was just like my initial response was probably pro- properly rated. I'd maybe say maybe it, it's probably just around a ninety for me. That's where I would put it, like yeah. just an A minus. Like it isn't perfect, but it's for what it does. Because um, I'm wrapping a lot of ideas into how I'd rank the movie. Like I said, it's very, it's very bold and brave filmmaking. Um, you certainly, especially for a debut film from, and obviously with his um, activism and political ideas, he's not going to ask for uh, or try to, you know, beg at the knees of anyone that's not like he want. He's just going right. to make the film he wants, and people can listen or or damn him. So right. he gets points. He gets points for that. Yeah. Um, um, you know, like in the ether. But this is just about the film as a whole, regardless of, you know. Whatever. Yeah, well, I, I I just mean like yeah, as a film, I yeah, A minus, I guess would be. Yeah. I find I find with like the Metacritic one at eighty percent, um, and Metacritic again is like a Rotten Tomatoes. Often take there's a lot of things coming into that score, so um, the IMDb one is probably a touch. I'd say at least a seven for IMDb because I've seen some pretty terrible films be in the sixes. So I don't I don't like lumping this. Well, one IMDb the, is just a, it's. A, film nerd jerk off session so <laughs> i miss like the old like back when imdb had like a message board about each movie that's where I, like it really taught me kind of how to dive deeper into films when yeah. i like started getting more into film so i really miss that but mm. i think in our current culture of how we treat the internet and how how toxic it's become it's probably fine but i do miss that yeah because reddit just doesn't have the same value that it did uh mm. that imdb did back in the day but uh there's still stuff out there if you look for it yeah yeah so i don't know yeah i'd probably if it was at 90 percent, i'd probably be satisfied 93 i'm I'm fine with it i think it's good for a movie like this like if you look it up and it's, and someone is just looking purely at tomato scores at least hopefully to help someone watch it um i think there's 78 as far as user i was probably not surprised to see 78% because I'm like, that's good that most people are liking it. But there is, it is the kind of film like a Jojo Rabbit that not everyone's going to get. Um, so to see 78% probably makes sense. Like, I think that's good for a film like this because you're wanting it to be, like we said on the Jojo pod, that like if everyone likes it and gets it, then it's probably not doing the job. Jojo right. had a 94 audience score. <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, but. Yeah, and I think like the twenty two percent that 
don't like it or whatever or indifferent to it like i don't think boots probably wants them as fans he's probably probably yeah. like those are probably the people who the movie is aimed at in a way mm-hmm. yeah yeah because some people like you know that watch a film like this might find it a bit personally affronting like as in like they might they might start them feeling some uncomfortable questions about how they see the world and they, and they may not like how what that brings up in them and if you don't have that good enough self-critique kind of way of looking at yourself then it might might be that you're like oh this movie not not, not for me because it, it brings up those uncomfortable ideas but yeah i would say yeah based on 93 percent, it's probably i i'd probably start leaning towards agreeing with you a little bit of slightly overrated but not much and i don't want to don't want to say overrated in a negative term. It's just that it's yeah. It's definitely not an overrated film. Just the score on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, yeah. Because you see, there's a lot of good films that add certainly less less than ninety. Like JoJo has a seventy nine. It's like is it yeah. fourteen point than JoJo? That is r- drastically underrated. Uh, would what I put? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because JoJo, I again, if JoJo was at ninety five percent, I'd probably be like not quite there, but yeah. Yeah. It's in- it's interesting how the Rotten Tomatoes scores does rank these and. And it might be because, sorry to bother you, um, because it's a lesser known film, lesser seen film, lesser reviewed film, there's less, uh, JoJo's certainly going to have a lot of, a lot more reviews being collated into that Rotten Tomatoes score. So, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. There's it, like 30 more people on the tomato side of it that yeah. reviewed it, I think. So, yeah. It is interesting. And it is a great way of like just looking up. Um, yeah. And I, I do like how Google, when you Google a title, it, gives you that little window into the different rankings so yeah we'll keep that going for future pods and it'll be interesting interesting to see the different movies we do where they <laughs> yeah looking forward to starship troopers <laughs> <laughs> i wish one day i wish when you googled starship troopers google like because i know google do some funny things with their like titles and and if you google a certain term it'll come up with something i just wish it came up with would you like to know more across your screen um <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, I'll make the suggestion at some point when they listen. <laughs> Probably already listening through the phone. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, very glad to do this one. Uh, as always, we we I raise my point to every movie we do usually because it's usually one that I enjoy. Um, but um, or at least appreciate the filmmaking that was going into it. Um, it is a pint of Coke. Shay's got a pint of. I have an empty glass an empty and glass. an empty bottle of tea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As you, I'll, I'll have my pint when I edit the pod, which is what I usually enjoy to do. So, yeah. But and until uh, next time, we'll uh, roll some film, pop some corn, and pour some pints. We'll see you next week, yeah. If you beautiful pervasion don't shut the fuck up, I'll turn you into glue. Yeah. All right.